Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you. Can I ask you to reach for a Bible if you have one and turn to Luke chapter 10, please? <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. Just as you're getting there, can I give you what I hope is an encouragement and an apology? It's always good to have an encouragement before you apologize. The uh, encouragement is uh, just to know, for you to know that um, certainly we in St. Andrews are praying for you as a congregation at the moment. It's obviously a time of transition with David and Annabelle moving on. So we'll be praying for you lots over this next period of time. Um, and I know that all of the other churches in our presbytery will be as well, um, both uh, when we gather together as a presbytery, even this Tuesday evening, but then over the, the coming weeks and months as well. We're confident that the Lord will lead and guide you uh, in the, the time to come, and we'll be praying that you're all able to trust him and bear with all of the things that, that will change over the next little while as uh, you go through this process. The apology um, is that I prepared this sermon from the ESV Bible, and I forgot that you use the NIV. So if there are any little places, I'll read from the NIV now. I, I realize that for some of you, that's not an apology. That's an expression of my virtue. But uh, for the, the others, uh, I didn't do it deliberately. I want you to know. Uh, and I will uh, try and uh, correct my script yeah, in line with the uh, NIV as we go. But uh, we've done, we've said enough. But now let me pray, I think, before I read to us. And our Father, we simply want to ask for your help, that by your Spirit you might help us to understand the words that he inspired all those years ago, but more than that, that you might help us to receive them in our hearts, and that our lives may be shaped by them, to the glory of your name. Amen. And the little passage we're going to read is just Luke chapter 10 and verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. If uh, you knew me well, you would know that uh, I don't often quote from the Greek philosopher Socrates uh, in my sermons, but uh, I came across one thing, probably from Google, uh, that he said once that I think summarizes pretty much the message that the Lord has for us this evening from his word. He said this, beware the barrenness of a busy life. Beware the barrenness of a busy life. Um, so our passage just five verses long. They are, I think, five verses of dynamite. And uh, if we hear them rightly this evening, they would have the, the power, I think, to reshape the, the whole of our approach to life. Uh, it's often said that we live in the, the busiest age of human history. The rise of the smartphone has created this always-on culture 
There was a, a time when those who were in work could walk away from their desk, maybe at five o'clock in the afternoon, and forget about their work until the next morning. If someone had something really important that they wanted to say to you, they could write you a letter, or in a real case of emergency, send you a telegram. If you don't know what that is, ask a, an old person later. But uh, now, for many of us, I bet, even those that aren't in work, the very last thing that we do at night and the first thing we do in the morning will be to check a device to see if anything earth-shattering and important has happened uh, in the last eight hours or so. When we bump into each other and we ask how we are, the chances are that at least one of us will talk about how busy we are. Uh, and journalists and uh, some researchers, I came across some research from Georgetown and Harvard universities who uh, argue that talk of busyness now has replaced spending loads of money as a marker of how important you are. So in the olden days, if you wanted to show how important and successful you were as a human being, you would uh, spend vast amounts of money on champagne and driving fancy cars. That's gone out the window, apparently. Now, if a second-division footballer can drive a Bentley, what's the, point of, what's the point of having one? It doesn't show anything. So now, if you want to show how absolutely vital you are to humanity, then you talk about your busyness. Uh, it is a public marker of our worth. Uh, a subtle way, uh, the article I read described it, of bragging of uh, how much other people value our human capital. We say I'm busy because it shows the rest of the world that everyone else needs us so badly. If that is the, the case for any of us, it's highly likely that we stand in need of hearing this lesson from Jesus afresh this evening. Beware the barrenness of a busy life. When all is said and done, he wants us to know that there is only one thing that matters. Uh, you may know that at this stage of Luke's gospel, Jesus is on a, a journey to Jerusalem. Uh, he has set his face to travel to his own death and resurrection. And on the way, he's giving to the crowds around him what some have called a, a school of discipleship. What does it look like to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow our king? even as he goes to his own death. And I'm persuaded that the, the journey narrative is broken up into little chunks that are marked by references to Jesus being on the way or on the way to Jerusalem. And our passage today is key because it comes at the start of the second section. That's too much for a Sunday night, I know. But the start of the second section of the journey narrative that will run from here, chapter 10, verse 38, through to 13, verse 21. What is it? mean to be a true follower of Jesus? Well, right up front, we're going to be told it means sitting at Jesus' feet in undistracted devotion to him. I've got two points for us this evening. First, the grave error of distracted service, the grave error 
of distracted service. And I have to admit, whenever I read this account, I do begin with a bit of sympathy for Martha. Maybe you're the same in this scene of domestic tension. If you have a brother or sister, uh, I'm sure you will know that they have an ability to sit there looking very innocent and get you into trouble at exactly the same time. And it could be that Mary's doing this. She just sits there, she doesn't say anything, and somehow Martha ends up in the bad books. But uh, even in the text... Martha has a lot to commend her. So in verse 38 there, you'll see where it says that she opened her home to Jesus. Literally, she received him. And normally in Luke's gospel, receiving Jesus is a very good thing to do indeed. It's, it's pretty much uh, synonymous with becoming a Christian. So if we didn't know the story, we might think, ah, oh, Martha's about to be presented to us as this star pupil in Jesus' school of discipleship. And more than that, she is serving Jesus. That's the word that's used there in verse 40. She's making preparations. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work in this translation, to do the service, to serve all by myself? You may know that in the culture of the day, there were some highly important social customs. One of them was that if a stranger came into your house needing hospitality, you would go over the top to meet their needs. You would greet them and wash their feet. You would cook for them. And if your guest was a VIP, then you really went to town for them. No amount of trouble was too great. And that's why Martha is making such a fuss here. In verse 40, she calls Jesus Lord, that matches Jesus, uh, Luke's own description of Jesus in verse 39. So it's not just a term of respect. It seems to be a, a full-blown confession of faith. So picture it. You've got, let's say, the, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge coming round for dinner. And uh, as they come round to your house, there you are. You're slaving away in the kitchen over your beef wellington and raspberry pavlova or whatever it happens to be and as you do so your uh, husband perhaps or your housemate your wife is lying on the sofa listening to a sermon uh, with their headphones plugged in I wonder if you might feel a little bit aggrieved and you'll see that Martha is serving Jesus alone in verse 40. It's not like there were loads of other people around who could do the work if she didn't. If she didn't run around cooking dinner, there wasn't going to be any dinner on Jesus' table. What could possibly be more important than cooking dinner for the King of Kings? When the uh, arrival, when Jesus arrived on earth, his turning up was so important. It was accompanied by angels proclaiming that Christ, the Lord, had come. Here is the one who stands at the very center of history. Here is the one who came to bring God's salvation to the world. What could possibly be more important than looking after him? But if we do have any initial sympathies that lie with Martha, they won't remain there. For all of her endeavor, Martha is failing badly in this school of discipleship. The clues are in the the words that are used to describe her. So you'll see in verse 40 there, if you glance down, that Martha was distracted. 
Um, that's the only time that word is used in the, the New Testament, but literally it means something like pulled or dragged away. It came to mean overburdened. The point, I think, is that Martha wasn't just busy in her work, but she was consumed by it, preoccupied, in the sense that it seems to she was allowing these other concerns to pull her away from the one thing that really mattered. It had become a priority, strangely, to the exclusion of Jesus himself. Then also in uh, verse 41 there, Martha, Martha, you're worried and anxious. You're troubled about many things. The the word is anxious, and in Luke, anxiety is always a a spiritually dangerous thing. In chapter 12, Jesus commands his followers not to be anxious. In the parable of the sower, it's the cares or the anxieties of the world that uh, grow up and choke your spiritual life like thorns it's not just Jesus who says that do you remember Paul in Philippians 4 don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God so I want to suggest that Martha isn't just flustered by the the privilege and responsibility of cooking for Jesus too much to do not enough hands to get it done. She's not just grumpy because her sister is skiving, but that Jesus has looked into her heart and seen that her busyness is pulling her away from a right devotion to him. I think that might explain the manner in which she approaches Jesus in verse 40. It's uh, Here it just says, she came to him. She went up to him. The, the word there is often a, a lot more confrontational than that. I don't think she quite grabbed him by the collar and gave him a shake. But is she having a go at him? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left, uh, left me to serve you all alone? Tell her to help me. It's never great when you become so preoccupied with your own agenda that you start telling Jesus what he ought to be doing. But the lesson, I think, for us of Martha's distracted and troubled example is that a simple one, that there is a a higher priority in life than the, the marks we get in our exams. There's a higher priority than our children's school report. Comes above our family responsibilities, above our physical needs, above our commercial priorities above our enjoyment of a sporting pastime or tournament on the TV, our desire for an amazing social life. It comes way above watching another box set or catching up on an episode of something online or even spending another few hours with our grandchildren. None of those things are intrinsically bad, but any one of them could become a snare that might drag our soul away from Jesus. Listen to J.C. Ryle. If we love life, we must hold the things of this world with a very loose hand and beware of allowing anything to have the first place in our hearts excepting God. Let us, he says, mentally write poison on all temporal good things. Used in moderation, they are blessings for which we ought to be thankful. Uh, 
permitted to fill our minds and trample upon holy things, they become a curse. I have to confess, I don't think we're great at this as a generation. I don't think I'm great at this. Uh, Many of us have learned that God wants us to enjoy good things in life. We look down on those who are a bit dour and cut all the fun out of life from a previous generation. We know that everything good is to be received with thanksgiving. But do we know that even good things can be poison? I think there's a general lesson there for anyone and everyone. But for those of us who are Christian believers, there's an even tighter application here. I say that because the, the, the word that's used there in verse 40 to describe Martha's work or service is actually the, the word ministry. So there is a, a rather surprising lesson here that even our Christian activity, our ministry, our Christian service can become a bear trap that would draw our hearts away from Christ. It may be a subtle point, but I think it is vital to to stop and think about it. We're a very activist and busy generation. But it is possible for the things that we do for Jesus, the things that we do for Jesus, to end up taking a bigger place in our hearts even than Jesus himself responsibilities we have at church, committees we sit on, Bible studies we lead, sermons we write. Great things. But if we allow even them to drag our heart away, they would be poison. Well, I bet you didn't um, expect to come to church tonight and be told to serve less at church. But it, it may be that for some of us, there is a need to cut out some things from our life. It may be the remedy we need. Certainly as churches, we need to make sure that we never define Christian keenness in terms of the amount of things that people do. Because it's very easy to have a Christian life that is full of busy activity, but barren of soul. That is the grave error of distracted service. Time there to move on to our second point, the glorious delight of undistracted devotion. The glorious delight of undistracted devotion. It's one of those passages in which Jesus explicitly commends someone as an example to the rest of us. So it's not hard for the preacher to work out what the application should be. And I do love the way that Mary is held up as an example for us, even though she doesn't actually say anything. It's often those who make the most noise who stand out in church. But the thing that Jesus finds commendable is that Mary sat at his feet and listened to his teaching. Mary had learned the crucial lesson that strengthened Jesus himself in his temptation. A man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. From one angle, it's a very ordinary scene. There's no great gestures from Mary. It's just quiet listening. There's another way in which it's profoundly countercultural. The disciples used to sit quite regularly in the first century at a rabbi's feet to learn from him. If you would read the books, you'd find that that role was never open to a woman. In fact, it would be 
scandalous in the culture of the day for Jesus to take time to instruct Mary as he does here. Don't you love that Jesus has no time for any of the sexist conventions of his day? That throughout his ministry, he would defy cultural norms by accepting and teaching women as disciples. Of course, he did model a difference between male and female. He appointed 12 men as his apostles. But at the level of discipleship, he modeled wonderfully, beautifully, the complete equality of men and women. And so here, it's Mary who is the star pupil in Jesus' school of discipleship, the one who wouldn't allow anything to drag her away from her need to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to his word. Uh, Jesus says that she's chosen the, the good portion. She's chosen what is better. That little phrase is an interesting way of putting it. Um, in the Psalms, the portion of the believer is God himself. David says, the, the Lord is my chosen portion. Again, in Psalm 73, Asaph sings, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. And Mary has that same undistracted single-mindedness. Lord, there is nothing I desire besides you. She knows that Jesus is the Lord of all. And therefore, she wants to feed upon his word. And Jesus says she's chosen the, the good portion because more important even than cooking Jesus' dinner is the decision to be a listening disciple. There's so much to learn in the detail of the verses. When um, Jesus says that it won't be taken away, her portion won't be taken away, it's an, it's an echo of something back in chapter 8. Would you mind just flicking back to chapter 8 with me in verse 18? It's a similar context because Jesus is teaching his disciples that they need to make sure that they listen to his word in the right kind of way. And in chapter 8, verse 18 there, she says, he says, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. It's that same word. In other words, it's going to go one of two ways. For the disciple who listens attentively to my word, says Jesus, there will be an, an upward spiral of more and more blessing as we grow in our relationship with him. But for the one who doesn't listen rightly, there will be a downward spiral. And even the little glimmer of spiritual life that appeared to be there is soon taken away and snuffed out. But Mary, back in chapter 10, had made the right choice. Nothing would drag her away from this single priority of undistracted devotion to Jesus and his word. Just as we begin to wrap up, if you've ever read through Luke's gospel, you won't be surprised when I say that this idea of hearing and receiving Jesus' word rightly is a, is a massive theme that runs all the way through the gospel. Right at the, the start of the gospel, um, Zechariah gets struck dumb 
And we're told that the reason why is that he didn't believe the words that the angel had spoken to him. And that's contrasted with Mary, the mother of Jesus, who did believe what was spoken to her. And that theme of right listening to God's word drives much of the gospel like the words in a stick of rock. I want to give you um, four words as I close then that, that summarize the position of the one who responds rightly to Jesus' words in the gospel. First, let me suggest the word secure. Jesus said, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them is like a man who builds his house uh, who digs deep and lays the foundation of the ro- on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because that house had been well built. Do you want that kind of eternal security in your life? Second word, they're fruitful. In the parable of the sower Jesus says as for the seed that fell in the good soil they're those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience 30 60 a hundredfold secure fruitful loved Jesus was teaching in a house on one occasion. It was packed to the rafters with people wanting to hear him. Someone said, your mother and brothers are standing outside. They want to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word and do it. What a blessing it is to know that as we receive the salvation that Jesus wins for us freely upon the cross. He was on his way to die at this stage of the gospel. He then adopts us into his family and is delighted to call us his brothers and his sisters. That sort of intimacy as we continue to hear and receive his word. Finally, the word blessed. In chapter 11, a woman uh, in a crowd cries out to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. In other words, your mum is so lucky, Jesus, to have such an intimate connection with you. Imagine being able to breastfeed the Son of God. And Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Because God's favor and blessing are found in hearing and keeping his eternal word. It's quite a little list, that, isn't it? Secure, fruitful, loved, and blessed the glorious delight of undistracted devotion. It's not a complicated passage tonight, is it? I think I could have explained it in about 30 words rather than 30 minutes. But in an an activist and always-on culture like ours, and in a busy church like St. Peter's or ours in St. Andrew's, And especially in a time of vacancy when things change and we've got so used to hearing God's word taught to us by one particular person for so many years. Well, it couldn't be more timely or important to be brought back to Jesus and sitting at his feet. I was on the phone to a 
a friend of mine in Christian ministry as I was uh, writing this sermon. And I don't know why, I don't often do this, but for some reason I, I felt compelled to tell him what I was learning as I was writing it. So I said, listen, I've got a, a word for you. And I read him just verse 42 there. One thing is needed. Mary's chosen what is better. And it won't be taken away from her. And I was surprised. He talks a lot, my friend. But it, suddenly, lots of ministers do that, don't they? They like the sound of their, their own voice. Suddenly, it went very quiet on the other end of the, the phone. And he said, you know, that's just what I needed to hear. I run around doing all of these things for Jesus. But I do neglect the one thing that really matters. Well, at times... God, I wonder, are you, a, are you a Martha? Jesus says to you today, I'm full of love and affection. I know how anxious and how distracted you are by many things, even by serving me. But beware the barrenness of a busy life. Just microwave a pizza and listen to me. So here's a question to prompt your own private reflection to stimulate conversations with one another afterwards maybe are there any distractions that that some of us just need to cut out of our life at the moment maybe any habits we need to reinstate to ensure that we can get back to listening to Jesus I wonder if you're a Mary do you love to sit at his feet and listen to him? Do you maybe even feel guilty sometimes when you carve the time out in your day to do that? There are so many other things that need to be done. Jesus just wants to encourage you. Only one thing is necessary. You've chosen the good portion. It will never be taken away. So there it is, the, the grave error of distracted service, the glorious delight of undistracted devotion. What Better. Could you think of anything? I, I couldn't. I, I had a go at this. I couldn't think of anything. Can you think of anything better or more important than sitting at the feet of such a gracious and generous Lord and Savior as Jesus is? Let's pray together, shall we? Only one thing is needed. Oh, great Father, we want to praise you for the enormous privilege that belongs to many of us to be invited into relationship with you. Thank you that as the Lord Jesus went to the cross, he paid the full price for all of our wrongs, even for the mistakes that we make as those who are disciples. And as for the mistakes that we make, even having heard this lesson drummed home to us so many times over the years. You know that we continue to, to drift and to be distracted and for anxieties and troubles to get in the way. Even our service of you gets in the way of you. So we want to praise you that Jesus' death is sufficient for all of those wrongs. And that as we come back to you, you receive us with grace and forgiveness and mercy. And we want to pray that in our hearts, therefore, you would help us to prioritize opening your word and reading it, meditating upon it day and night, and doing what it says. 
Thank you for the great blessing that there is to be found in knowing you in your word. And we pray for each one of us and indeed for St. Pete's as a whole in this time of transition. That our times in your word would be very rich. That our hearts may burn within us as your scriptures are opened. And that you might strengthen us in our love and commitment to your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.